Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of the Bleed Lost Podcast. So, this is normally where we are, you know, letting you know who we're partnering with for this week's podcast, stuff like that, but we have a big announcement. That announcement is we have joined and partnered up with the Believe Podcast Network. They are the number one podcast network for professionals, and they have athletes who played for fate, you know, for teams, and even experts, you know, that talk, want to talk about different topics uh, on the network. And we couldn't be more excited to join the Believe family. So, uh, just so you guys know, you know, they have things like the Slapdick Podcast, which that's hosted by the coach uh, from Last Chance U, Coach Jason Brown. Um, we uh, we have uh, the Fade the Booth Podcast with Deshaun Jackson. Uh, the Bengals podcast uh, with Pac-Man Jones and uh, Solomon Wilcots. They have an L.A. football podcast, the uh, Soccer Suit podcast, uh, the the Inside Football podcast with the uh, Hall of Fame GM Bill Pullian. They have a ton of podcasts, and we're super stoked and excited to join the network, join the family, and uh, and partner up with them. Um, and there's you know some big things in the works that we're super excited to be working on. And, uh, and believe is just, uh, is going to be a partner and all that. So we're super, super stoked to join and uh, huge thanks to you guys, the listeners. If it wasn't for you guys, we honestly don't have the guests that we have. And, uh, we definitely don't embark on this partnership that we've created now with believe. And, uh, again, doesn't change anything, you know, with, as far as how you get this podcast still, you know, if you're subscribed, that's not going to change anything it's still on Spotify, all that good stuff. All it's just going to do is it's going to, you know, help us make this podcast a little better. So again, huge thanks to all of you for 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 the support, for the subscriptions, uh, the subs or however the kids say it these days. Uh, so thank you guys, the engagement, all that. So and and you know what? One thing we are going to encourage moving forward, if you're listening to this, if uh, you follow us on Twitter, engage, because it's going to help us, you know, be able with uh, with everything we're doing to give you guys the content you want. So if you're following us. We really appreciate you. If you're not, give us a follow at Dodgers Beat, at Bleed Los Podcast, at the Bean A18, at Blue Film Revolt, B L U Film Revolt for Juan. Uh, being, the Bean A18 is me. So give us a follow. Uh, give us all the engagement, all the uh, you know, all the feedback because we're gonna need that from you guys. So we really appreciate it. And again, huge thanks to Believe for uh, believing in us. <laughs> See what I did there. Um, and again, they're the number one podcast for network professionals. Oh, I'm sorry, the number one podcast network for professionals. Man, I can't talk today. And we just couldn't be more excited. So again, huge thanks. Give them a follow at Believe, which is B-L-E-A-V. And their website is Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. But again, it's, said, it's, a, it's pronounced Believe. So with that said, this week in the Carnesada, we are joined by a Los Angeles icon, legend, He's a he's a, a radio host on your on your drive home, uh, on the Mason and Ireland show uh, on seven ten ESPN. He has his own podcast as well, Culture Pop. Rabid uh, Los Angeles sports fan Steve Mason joins us on the podcast this week on the Canasela, and uh, we talk all things Super Bowl, talk some Dodgers baseball, talk some pop culture. Uh, it, it was a good time. It was a good hang. Uh, but without further ado, here is another edition of the Bleed Los Podcast. This is 
Todd Lights, public address announcer for your Los Angeles Dodgers. And now, it's time for the Bleed Lows Podcast with your hosts, Alonso and Juan, with the baby face gimmick in the sky, Roger. And this week in La Carnesada, we have a, uh, a radio legend, an audio legend, a, uh, a culture pop legend, if you will, in the uh, greater Los Angeles area, uh, host of Culture Pop, the podcast, and uh, co-host of Mason in Ireland on 710 ESPN, Steve Mason. Mace, how you doing? Hey, great, guys. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm surprised you're still awake because you were at the parade. And, oh. and, and <laughs> it was who crazy. went harder? Who went harder? You or Aaron Donald? Uh, Aaron Donald went harder. Matthew Stafford definitely went harder, um, but I, I went, I went pretty hard. I I'll tell you what I, you guys know from listening to the show, I'm a huge Rams fan and not just a, I mean, season ticket holder. I'm just a fan more than a media covering the team. And, you know, I got my personal seat licenses and I got my season tickets and I don't miss any games. And uh, it still feels like a dream that we actually did uh, win the Super Bowl. It's amazing. But the parade and the celebration yesterday was fantastic. I wanted to ask you about the parade. I know you, you've gone on record to say it, but our friends in Israel, because apparently our podcast is a big deal in Israel. Uh, that's, nice. not even, that's not even a bit. That's real. Cool. Um, uh, a lot of people have been talking. Why wasn't there like a joint parade, you know, with the other teams, with the Dodgers, the Lakers, uh, obviously who won their respective championships in, during the COVID year. Uh, what say you to that? Well, everybody deserved their, I mean, the Lakers deserved a parade. The Dodgers deserved a parade. Uh, after they both won in 2020. But, you know, I also think that the Rams, particularly in the position they are in reestablishing themselves in the market, deserve their own parade. Um, and, you know, I was, I understand LeBron, I think JT at one point tweeted out, how about, how about uh, a parade with all of us? You know, I think this was a moment for the Rams and it was a moment for the Rams organization to really celebrate and sort of uh, start to really establish um, a hardcore fan base in the town. So I understand why it wasn't a joint parade. And I actually agree with that decision. Still hey, wish we would have had a Dodgers parade and a Lakers parade though. I, I've always been cre- uh, curious because you were uh, born in Pennsylvania, but raised in Ohio, right? Yes, correct. That you came to Southern California in the nineties. Did you not have any allegiance to those sports teams in Ohio, the Browns, or, or the Guardians, even though they'll always be the Indians in yep. my mind. Not so, a one. So not you adopting one. the local teams is genuine. It is not just because you work in sports radio no, in the L.A. The, area. And the reality is that um, I was a Rams fan when I was a little kid. In fact, let me uh, – while, while, while I've got you guys, uh, I'll read you a note I got from my best friend when I was growing up in Ohio. I got it last night. He says, back when we were kids in the mid to late 70s, I have crystal clear memories of you rooting for the Rams. Everyone in our icy little town in Ohio was pulling for Ohio State, Michigan, the Browns, and maybe the Lions. And there you were shooting baskets with us on Brayer Lane, wearing a Rams jersey, talking about Vince Ferragamo. It's truly amazing when you think about how rare in those days it was to even see a game out of region indeed you knew your destiny so i got that from my best friend from when i was growing up yesterday i was a rams fan when i was a kid um i can't say that when i was a little kid i really didn't have allegiances to the local teams i was a little bit of a contrarian 
So like my, my mom was a Steelers fan and my brother was a Raiders fan and my dad was a Cowboys fan and they were all in it every single year. I adopted the, the Rams in part because they were in it every year. They were in the mix every year. And I always dreamt of living in Los Angeles. Even as a little kid, I thought someday I'm going to live in LA. So I followed the LA teams as a, as a little kid, because this is where I wanted to live someday. So I mean, I always got the impression you are a baseball guy. Is baseball your favorite sport? It is my favorite sport. I, uh, when I was, uh, one of my first jobs was traveling secretary uh, for the Toledo Mudhens in the International League. So in those days I was doing a hundred, you know, I was going to a hundred and uh, what did we do? 140 games a year uh, we did. So I was in Syracuse and Rochester and Tidewater, which was Virginia Beach and Charleston, West Virginia, and all those places that were in the International League in those days and traveled with the team. I got to, I mean, I I got really cool treatment. I was able to take BP with the team sometimes, uh, to throw in the bullpen, uh, to take some infield um, and take some fungos in the outfield. I mean, I got to do all that stuff uh, while I was in my role as traveling secretary and uh, I, I had a blast. So I, yeah, I'm baseball to my, to my core. I mean, I, I, I love the rhythm of the game. I love the feel of the game. I love that it's uh, when spring training rolls around, it's this big sign of renewal for everybody. I, I am definitely a baseball guy before I'm anything. Well, speaking of hope and renewal, uh, cool. Steve, let's get into it today. Yeah. They met for 15 minutes. I, you know, for, for the longest time in the show, we have been saying June is when we're going to see baseball. What do you think? What do you think about this whole situation, Steve? Well, you know, what's up? What, what pisses me off about it is I don't even know the details of what they are agreeing and disagreeing on. Like there, it's not a very transparent process. So I don't know what the sticking points are in the negotiation. 15 minutes, nothing gets accomplished in 15 minutes. I mean, Major League Baseball made their proposal, I think it was last week, 10 days ago, uh, and was immediately rebuffed uh, by the players. But what are they arguing about? What are the, what are the deal points that they're having trouble with? Um, I mean, I understand manipulating service time is one of those things. It sounds like that's an easier one to fix. I think what's happening is it's, uh, it's revenue sharing, uh, luxury tax threshold. Uh, and I think they're arguing in part, I'm, I've read this, that they're arguing in part about a salary floor. In other words, you can't be the pirates and have a $30 million payroll. You have to spend at least this amount, whether it's 75 million or it's 60 million or whatever that is, because those teams like the pirates, the, uh, the Rays have had great success with it. So have the A's. Uh, but the teams that don't spend, um, Miami, uh, that's deflating all players' salaries. So I assume that's one of the things they're arguing about. They want to – I was at a wedding with uh, Chris Iannetta, who's one of the um, representatives that's uh, uh, working on the players' behalf. And, you know, he told me that this, this idea that you could be the Cubs or the Astros and tear it down and, you know, have a couple of 50-win seasons – and that's the way you do it. Uh, the players don't agree with that. The players think that every team should be competitive every year. And honestly, as fans, I, I think it's we should expect the same. How and what I find interesting about all this is, you know, that and I get the players' position too. And, but but it's it, it's kind of weird how we had Max Muncy on, 
and he he pointed out that the narrative isn't fairly being depicted from from both sides mm-hmm. and but no one's saying anything either like you have players saying stuff right and yep. to your point they're not being transparent as far as what hey what's this you know the sticking point because there's a lot of speculation so with that speculation do you think that baseball is going to start in June or do you think this is just going to be one of those seasons where kind of like 94, it's just going to be so late. It's kind of a lost season. God, 94. You know, I, I, it's funny. I was winning my fantasy baseball league when 94 happened and I was going (laughs) to, I had a totally dominant team. Uh, And now on the trophy for 1994, it just says greed, greed (laughs) is the one in 1994. Um, I, I hope we don't go into you know what that would be a nuclear winter is what that would be for baseball yeah. to lose a season, particularly when uh, you know the the NFL is the NFL and the NBA seems to be picking up popularity. The last thing we can afford to do is to miss any time, um, and it's it's complete negligence on the part of Rob Manfred, who I'm not a fan of, that they didn't start these negotiations earlier. They didn't work towards a conclusion at an earlier point. They had to wait for a lockout to actually be able to do anything. So I think it's negligence on the part of Rob Manfred. And I, but I do think you're right. I do think we'll see baseball by June, which isn't ideal, but at least we get a season. And uh, and with that, I'm just kind of curious because these are really the only like free agency agency things we can talk about. Do yep. you think Clayton Kershaw comes back? I do. I actually do. I, I think, first of all, if you look at the Dodgers rotational depth, um, it's much less than it has been in previous years. I mean, you know, you've got, uh, obviously you've got Walker Bueller and, and you've got uh, Julio Arias and you've got Tony Gonsolin and you've got, but I mean, you don't have, you're not stacked with nine starters deep. I think Clayton Kershaw even though you can't count on him for, I, I mean, I, I would say if we have Clayton Kershaw, I'm happy with 22 starts and him to be healthy for the playoffs. I would absolutely take that out of Clayton Kershaw. Um, I think they need him. I, I think the Dodgers probably need Clayton Kershaw. Uh, and I think they're going to find a way to make it done. I also think there's something to be said for starting and finishing your career with one organization. I think that's just a capper for Kershaw's career. If he, retires as a Dodger. So I, I hope, and I think he's going to be a Dodger. Hey, Steve, uh, you just said right now, pitching is a need for the Dodgers. I didn't think this was a possibility, but now with the news that he's not getting charged, I'm starting to think that Bauer is going to pitch for the Dodgers next year because out of necessity and the amount of money that they owe him. I, yeah. I mean, everyone tells me, no, it's not going to happen, but I'm, I'm starting to think with the, what they did with Ozuna, the, yeah. the penalty, I'm starting to, I mean, how are you, how, I mean, you go to Dodger games a lot. Yep. How would you react if you saw Trevor Bauer on the mound pitching for the Dodgers next year? You know, I don't want him. I, I just, I just don't. I, and I didn't, I'm not one of those guys that read every single article about all the nasty details and all that stuff. I really don't need that stuff floating around in my head. I have enough of it that I understand, you know, there was, there was, uh, I, I guess you would call it kinky behavior or whatever the hell it was. Um, but I think in the end, he's going to be suspended for a year. Um, I mean, I've, I've had people tell me there he's likely to be suspended for a season over, the the just the awful nature of that story so i don't think 
Uh, first of all, I don't think he'll ever pitch for the Dodgers again, even if he's not suspended. I mean, what I'm hoping for more than anything is a, a buyout uh, or a termination clause based on uh, moral clause, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I don't want to see him pitch for the Dodgers again. Uh, you're right that we can use pitching. I mean, it, it has gotten thinner. Um, you know, we're relying on Andrew Heaney as a, as a third starter, as a fourth starter now. So Bauer would be a luxury, but I don't think he's ever going to pitch for the Dodgers again. And I think he'll be suspended for a year. How, uh, how stoked were you about the universal DH thing? It's been reported that that's agreed to it's going to happen. Yes. How, uh, how stoked were you about that? Um, you know, I was medium stoked. I understand that, uh, because of, um, the need to keep the game relevant and rolling and all that stuff that you probably needed to add the universal DH. I will miss, um, and because I'm a baseball guy, I'll miss the strategy that goes along with managing in the national league or has always gone along with it. Um, I, it, it's funny. They think they think meaning the players, it, they think it's going to add jobs and it will add certain jobs. Uh, it'll, it'll add, a hitter to each roster or two hitters to each roster, but it means that one or two reliever spots are going to be gone because you're not going to need to go to the pen as often as you do now. So I think it's net net. I don't think it's creating more jobs. I think it's just shifting the jobs, but I think uh, generally speaking as a baseball fan, I recognize that the game needs to modernize. I recognize that the game uh, nobody really wants to see uh, a hitter stand at the plate like Max Scherzer and just take three strikes. Um, and it is a waste of time. I understand that, but I will miss some of the strategy. No, hundred percent agree. I mean, I'm old enough to also appreciate the, uh, the managerialness, if you will, of, yep. you know, watching uh, a Tony La Russa, you know, kind of play chess while the other side is playing checkers to a certain degree. Yep. Um, and uh, no, I agree hundred percent. I, I was curious though. You were lucky enough to be at the game, the big game, the Super Bowl on Sunday. Yes. You were edibleized. I was too watching that <laughs> halftime show. Yep. Uh how how was that uh that halftime show in person? Because I mean on TV, there's been obviously Twitter, the, the deep dark despair of Twitter is just not a fair yeah. a yeah. fair assessment of something like that. But how how was it in person? I'm just kind of curious. Well, I'm I'm gonna tell you straight up the stage faced one half of the stadium and I was not on that half. So I looked at the back of the halftime performance instead of the front of the halftime performance. So I didn't really get a feel for what it was until I came home. I had DVR'd it and watched the halftime. I, it looked great. I was not in a spot where I could see the halftime performance. And that's by the way, the, the halftime show I've been to, I'm lucky that I've been to three Super Bowls in six years the halftime show is always better on TV than it is in person. Just, it just is. You can see so much more. The camera moves more. Um, like I said, I was on the wrong side of, of this stadium in 2015. I think it was at, uh, at uh, Levi stadium. Beyonce was way far away from me. I couldn't really see. So it's always better on TV than it is in person. I did not get a good view of this halftime show until I came home and watched it on TV. That's fair. And to your point, yeah, it looks way better. I mean, it looks way sicker on TV because you couldn't oh, have gotten yeah. that that shot of Kendrick on the field, and this, there's no way. Fantastic. You can never capture that in person, ever. No, no, no. And also being on the other side of, of something, you have a podcast, Culture Podcast. Yes, yes. And you have several episodes, and you have a, a, a murderer's row of guests. 
I'm personally envious that you've had Andy Richter on. I would have had to have been had to have been edibleized to be around that dude because he's yes, one of the funniest yes. dudes in the world. Uh, tell us a little bit about your podcast and tell us about some of your favorite guests. So uh, Sue Kalinsky is my partner on the podcast. And she and I, when I, in about nine, in 1999, I left LA and went to New York City to do morning drive. And Sue was the person that I chose to work with. Um, she uh, is a stand-up comic and she's also a producer. She's been nominated for Emmys for the Osborne. She was one of the original producers of that show and Top Chef and a bunch of stuff like that. And she and I have a lot of fun working together. And um, I have this whole other side of me that I don't really get to express on, uh, on ESPN. Uh, in fact, I put up a podcast today about uh, a movie called The Lost Daughter, which is, uh, you know, like a really heavy picture starring Olivia Coleman and is nominated for Oscars and stuff like that. And I am interested in all that stuff, but I've gotten to have really cool guys on the show. I mean, I was just with Danny Trejo the other day. Danny Trejo has done the show. Brian Cranston, Paul Reiser, uh, Jay Leno, you mentioned Andy Richter, Susie Espen from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, and I mean, and the list goes on, the list goes on. Um, and I have a lot of fun with this show. And this is, you know, Ireland always says, well, you'll, you'll always do something. I will always do something like I will be, Ireland will be in assisted living and I will still be doing uh, the culture pop podcast. Cause I do it. Cause I mean, it's, it's, first of all, we have a huge subscriber base and I'm really excited about that. So many people uh, love it. But on top of that, I just, I love doing it. I do the project more for me than I do it for anything else. And it sounds like it, when I listened to that Richter episode, it, it sounds like you're having a blast. The envious that you've had uh, uh, Mr. Trejo on, we'd like to have him on to, to Danny's discuss tacos. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. I was over at the Super Bowl on Sunday and I was on the Channel 11 set and they put me and him on as being super fans. And there's no question Danny is a super fan and an L.A. icon. 100%. Steve, you just mentioned something right now. Uh, congratulations, first of all, on the Culture Pod. I, if we had more time, I could talk to you for hours about, about it. Uh, but you mentioned something, and when you're on the radio on 710, some of my favorite parts of you doing radio is when you talk about real-life social issues and stuff like that. It's really, it's really great radio, and I know there. You're, you know, the station doesn't want you guys doing that because you're going to alienate right, part right. of your audience. Right. So yeah. I'm sure the the uh, the podcast is a great outlet. But I have to tell you, I don't know if it's because I've gotten older, but you almost brought me to tears on one episode. I think it was the ep one of the episodes you did with Ireland when yep. you had said that you wanted to buy your parents a house so they wouldn't disown you when you told them that you were gay. And yeah. I just thought that was so heartbreaking to hear you say that. But then on another episode, I heard you say that in order to be a great radio personality, you had to open up, mm -hmm. that you had to allow the listener in uh, on who you were. Yeah. What, what helped you come to that decision and make yourself so vulnerable? Well, I think a lot of it has to do, traces back to Howard Stern, actually. I mean... Howard, you know, I was in the same, mar I competed against Howard. I did mornings in New York while Howard did. And, uh, and he has an authenticity about him and has always had an authenticity about him uh, that I think has instructed a whole generation of, of on-air people. 
I mean, he made it okay to talk about things that uh, were uncomfortable. And because I love Stern for those reasons, uh, and because I worked with other people, I worked with a guy named Tom Snyder, um, and and he was another guy who was incredibly authentic. You just knew what he was thinking. He was going to say whatever. He was going to share personal things. You know, the 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 other the other reason I do it is that I mean, you cited that story about my trying to buy my mom and dad a house so they wouldn't disown me. There are a lot of uh, kids out there and people that are listening who I think when I came out on the air, you know, that changes things for people. It's like, oh, you know, uh, a sports guy. Uh, and he, he came out and I talk about uh, bipolar disease and, and, you know, I, I have bipolar disease. It's treated. I talk to a psychiatrist all the time, but I mean, I think those things help other people. And, you know, I've heard from people who are gay and struggling. I've heard from people who are dealing with depression or dealing with anxiety or mania. I've heard from people like that. And I think one of the reasons why they feel comfortable reaching out is that I've been so honest and, and real about it. I just think the more real as a personality you are on the radio, television, the more real you are, uh, the, the more connection you have with your audience. Absolutely. And I want to be respectful of your time, Steve. So we're going to wrap things up the way we always wrap things up on the show. But before I do that, again, just congratulations on the podcast. I really enjoyed it. I know F. Murray Abraham has a classical background. I just wasn't expecting to hear him talk like a classical actor throughout that whole interview. I, I did enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's actually a really funny. If you ever see that show, Mythic Quest, he's awesome on that show, Mythic Quest. I, I can't. Without, before I get to the question, I can't let you go without talking about Chinatown. Because yes. I know Chinatown is your, one of your, your favorite movie, and I love that movie. So my question to you, for me, there's no better Nicholson than Chinatown. To yeah. me, that is top Nicholson. What is your favorite Nicholson performance, and what is a performance of his that you think is underrated? So... I mean, I'll say his second best performance because I love his performance in uh, in Chinatown. Absolutely love it. Um, I think in terms of best Nicholson, um, I would go for best Nicholson, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is not necessarily the fun choice, um, but <laughs> it, he was, you know, it's a, it's well, not one of those feel-good mental hospital movies. Um <laughs> But I, I thought he was absolutely amazing in that. His, uh, his uh, rapport with uh, Louise Fletcher, who played Nurse uh, Ratchet, was unbelievable. You know, that's only the second movie in history that won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, and Best Actress after it happened one night. Um, and since then, it's happened one more time, Silence of the Lambs with Jonathan Demme, Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, and Best Picture. So, I mean, it's a pretty significant movie in history. So One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is my second favorite Nicholson performance. I tend to like young Nicholson better than older Nicholson, but I think his, his underrated performance, and I, I don't know how underrated it is, given the fact that um, he won the Academy Award for it, but as good as it gets, I think is fantastic because it deals with that issue of mental illness in a, in a funny, entertaining, real honest way that, you know, his compulsive behavior uh, I thought was, was fantastic. So as good as it gets is my, is my underrated Nicholson performance. 
That's great. And I agree with you. From 1969 to 75, it's really hard to find someone. I will say Pacino could give him a run for his money. But Nicholson does have, I think, more performances during that time. And De Niro in that range, too. De Niro did Mean Streets at about that time, which was first Scorsese. And, you know, there, I, for me, most of my favorite movies were made between 1968 and 1975. There yeah. are so many great movies in that period. It's partly because of Watergate. It's partly because of Vietnam. But the movies have got this sort of... Uh, disillusioning quality to them. None of them end happy. Um, they all end in sort of a, a, a way that sticks with you for a while. I love the movies of that period in Chinatown. I mean, it, a lot of my life goes back to Chinatown. Uh, when I was, you know, 12 years old, I was a movie junkie and I watched Chinatown and it's another of the reasons I wanted to live in Los Angeles. I saw what Los Angeles looked like during that era, thought that is the coolest place in the world. Another reason I wanted to move to LA. So a lot of things, whether whether it's the Rams or Chinatown, a lot of things sort of set my destiny to be out here and to be in Los Angeles. Um, and this is, I mean, I, I, I love LA. That's where I'll always live. Well, my, my vote for underrated Nicholson is the pledge it's oh, a very, I love that movie. It's a very, not enough people have seen that movie, but I think yeah. he's so good in that movie. Anyways, we're going to let you go, but we're going to let you go with the question. We're all taqueros here on the Bleed Lows podcast. Okay. You are an Angelino, even though you were born somewhere else, you are an Angelino. Yes. So we need to know what is your favorite taco and what is the, where's the place that you go in the city to get that taco? Okay. So. I am lucky to live in, I live in Venice, kind of Mar Vista, Venice, if you know that area. And up the street from me is, uh, is Tito's. And I probably go to Tito's uh, at, at least once a week. Uh, and still, you know, the catchiest jingle, the only thing better than a Tito's taco is two. <laughs> um, so Tito's is my, is my go-to place for tacos. What do you get there at, at Tito's? Um, I get the, uh, the, uh, uh, what, what am I, what word am I looking for? I, beef, uh, beef, che- uh, beef chorizo, I think it's called beef oh. chorizo. Uh, and it's sort of a mix of the two. Uh, it's got some nice spice to it. Really, really good. That's what so the, the crunchy or do it's you, a is crunchy it... taco okay. uh, with beef and chorizo in it. Exactly. This is the second episode in a row where we've had Tito's come up. We had Dale Murphy on the show last week. And whenever he's in L.A., he says he goes to Tito's. Tito's is the best. It's literally like uh, five blocks from my house. Well, uh, I will say, by the way, I didn't want to chime in. But in my humble opinion, because I'm significantly younger than all three of you, uh, Roger, who's he's always silently uh, assassinating over there. Um, in my humble opinion, Jack Nicholas is, uh, uh, or Nicholson's, excuse me, uh, best performance was Wolf, but that's only because my sister religiously Wolf. watched that for some weird reason. Yeah. And, and it's, but it's a great movie for some, it is for some great. reason. It's so right? funny it's him, that, and, yeah. him and Michelle Pfeiffer, I think is that. Movie. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's great. weird. It's a fun movie. Yeah. And the, the ending doesn't work in that movie, nope. but up until that point, it's they great. almost pulled it off. They yeah, almost they pulled it off. Yes. They did. But that that shows you the uh, the the versatility of one Jack Nicholson. Oh, no uh, question. Yeah, one of the one of the greatest of all time. And just as versatile, Steve Mason. If you're not following him, please follow him on the socials. Listen and subscribe to his Culture Pop podcast. 
uh, you know, all, all things, Steve Mason, again, we really appreciate you making the time and joining us and uh, hopefully we can have you stop by the Canasada again. Any, anytime guys. Thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks again, Steve. Hey, this is Max Muncie and you're listening to the bleed Lows podcast. Big, uh, big what's up to our friends in Israel. Uh, thank you guys for the, uh, the support. That's a, that's a real thing. That's not a bit like we, we really are, are on the ratings much to our surprise. So thank you to uh as as a uh, as our good friend Juan says to our friends in Israel. Uh that's how you say Israel in Spanish. But uh listen man, Steve Mason's a Steve Mason's a, a Swiss Army knife. And uh and he broke down some stuff, especially with the lockout in a very concise way. And uh obviously they had their meeting today. Uh big shout out to the homie Jorge Castillo who uh who made a great point today that MLB finally figured out the pace of play with that 15 minute meeting that they had with the players. Uh, how uh, how triggered are you, Juan? I, I'm not triggered. I mean, I, I feel like this is Groundhog Day. We have been talking about this since we've been talking about We've been talking about this since last season. We all anticipated that there would be a, a work stoppage. And this is not a surprise. And this is something that you've mentioned many a times. And this is something that I don't understand. And that is the owners are not operating in good faith. When we had Bill Shaken on, Bill Shaken said, you know, the last deal, the owners absolutely killed the players. So even if the owners took the exact same deal that they had last year, they'd still come out winning. I think the owners right now want to completely just destroy the players, right? So what is it? They want extended playoffs which to me, I, I, I'm not crazy about extended playoffs, but they agreed to it. Yeah. But they I think that, to it. I think the owners want that permanently. Right. No, I but, think they but want it, extended playoffs permanent. Right. But it, but it sounds like that the preliminary agreement is they've agreed to, to the extension. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they made concessions, right? Like, like here's my theory on it. And I've told you guys this and I have no problem saying it here. I honestly think the owners are doing what they're doing to force the the objective of getting media mediation involved. And again, that that just shows that they're not negotiating in good faith, man. Like there, there is no way, there is no way that if they get a, a deal done, let's say a week from today, and that we're recording this on February uh, 17th. So a week from today, they you'd still have to delay the season by a few days, right? Because you right. still have to sign free agents, you still have to, you know, oh, you know the free agency period, all that rigmarole, spring training, all that. So, so then if it's if it's they've all come out and said we don't want to miss games, cool. Then if it's not about missing games, then why are we about to miss games? So let me ask you this: Who's leaking all this information? Because you have certain reporters that after every meeting are out there giving you details about this is what they're haggling about, this is what the latest deal is. Who's let? Who's leaking all that information out? Are the owners leaking that information out? Are the players leaking that information out? How is this conducive to getting a deal done if every time they have a meeting, we know everything that took place in the meeting? It's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, right? But, but and, and there's some guys that are more outspoken than others. Steve Mason mentioned it there. Chris Iannetta is, is working on behalf of the players to negotiate stuff, right? Had, and he obviously is clearly okay with, with Mace putting him on the record more or less about with what he said. So that, you know, there's some guys that are cool with going on on the record, other others that are not, 
And I mean, as, as an example, I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. Max Muncy, you know, kind of told us he wanted to stay away from it. Okay, I can respect that. You know, but there obviously there's leaking. But at the same time, the, the lack of transparency is also not conducive to the environment. And John Heyman, listen, I understand he has a job. And after what happened with Ken Rosenthal, I 100% understand that he has to protect his job. We're not bound to the same, you know, code of ethics for from, you know, the bleed loss folks, because if that were the case, we would have been fired months ago. But Heyman is spinning this in the sense of like it's the MLB narrative, right? Yes. And and when you look at the stuff that he says, it, it, it's just not it, like it to me. It's just it, 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 I agree with most of the comments that people live there or leave there that it's it's bootlicking. At the end of the day, the owners don't want to budge. And, and, and it's a, and I do get that this is a battle of billionaires versus millionaires. Cool. I understand that. But at the same time, it's the battle that needs to happen because to your point that well, Bill Shaken said, the owners killed the players. And if they don't fix that, then there's just no, there's not going to be a season. There's just not because why, I mean, at this point, everyone is so dug in and they've, they've reached a point of no return of making concessions just to make a deal that there's no point. So I get where they're at now. And I completely, and I side with the players. I do. Uh, and don't take this as I'm picking both sides or whatever. As someone that worked in the game, I for sure pick the player's side because the players are the ones that typically have to give the concessions, right? So, and and it's on, I'm on the record saying that the owners have not negotiated in good faith when it came to that extra playoff game, the way they went about that during the COVID year. And, and here we are now. And I still don't think they're negotiating in good faith. So back to your original question, it's both sides that are leaking it, right? But they're being selective about what they're leaking, and I, to a certain degree, understand why. But the owners, for sure, should be more transparent. Baseball should be more transparent. Rob Manfred has has mishandled this from the get-go. For cataclysmic failure. Like, if, if, he, if he currently has a PR firm, they, that PR firm should never be hired for anything again. And I sincerely mean that. Because the way that they have not even addressed the the worst of the worst when it comes to the the analysis, if you will, of Rob Manfred. And you know what, man? It's sad. It's really sad because baseball has this long history of, of sorting itself out, doing whatever, but it also has a history of getting in its own self, in its own way. Mace mentioned it, 1994. Poor Mace's fantasy team. And now we're, we're about to approach the same thing, man. I, I'm frustrated. I'll be honest. I'm frustrated. If you can't hear it, then whatever. But dude, like baseball is slowly becoming a joke. And there's people that are saying, Hey, if these dudes get a deal, cool. If they don't, I'm going to spend my time doing other stuff. And and I'm, and I said this before, people are going to spend their leisure time doing something else. They're not going to go on these trips. Rogers had a postpone his trip and he's going to do something else. And that's, and that's starting to happen. And now this is where we're at. And it's dude, it's embarrassing. It honestly is embarrassing for the game of baseball. Look, I know there's one real quick, easy fix on, on, on how we come to an agreement here. Fire Rob Manfred. Not only that, I would just send Babyface to go make the negotiations. <laughs> Babyface, here, you have the floor. You tell them how you would handle this and how you would fix this. I mean, I don't have the exact solution. I mean, first, like we were discussing is let the players into camps, you know, end the lockout and start, you know, they can be negotiating while 
while the players are in camp, right? If they want to, if they want to shoot for that March thirty first opening day, that's step one, right? Obviously, and then step. Oh, step oh, okay, let, let me stop you at step one. If they did that, do you think they would have more of an incentive to get a deal done because the players are getting ready for a season? Well, yeah. I mean, if if right now it's just like whatever, like you know, they did. They had a meeting Saturday, then they met today. When's when's the next meeting? Next Tuesday or Wednesday? You know. I've told you guys, why can't they get themselves, book a hotel somewhere in New York, whatever, Miami, whatever, one week, five, six hour sessions. They can't do that. You know, they can't go and just hammer it out and get this done. Or if, like I said, if the players were already in camp and they're there, they know, okay, we got to get this done before opening day. I think something gets done. I mean, I, I was showing you, sharing this tweet that, MLB has set a deadline of the end of this month, the 28th, to have a deal done to get the season starting on time. I, I took that that's not gonna happen. Even if it's the 28th, you got to give these players a month of spring training. So that's a month. So that's already a month where the players at. They still gotta come, you know, they still gotta get to camp. So you can you give them a week to get to camp. Okay. And then you still got players that are free agents. You got Kershaw that's a free agent. You got to give them at least a couple of weeks to get free agent signed so that's at least two weeks so for me i think to get to the season if you want to get the season started on time they have to have a deal done by like monday or tuesday that gives them about six weeks you know if you get to the end of the month if it gets to the end of the month season starting late at least a couple weeks jeff passon just tweeted while exact plans are not finalized mlb and the mlb players association intend to hold multiple bargaining sessions perhaps every day as early as Monday, which, uh, forgive me, I don't have a calendar in front of me, but this upcoming Monday, which is, I don't know what day it's that the is. the 21st. 21st. So, so the, the meetings that we were just talking about is Thursday, February 17th. They had a 15-minute meeting that they just walked out of. The next meeting will be on the 21st, which is probably around the same time that you guys are listening to this episode. Yeah. So at, at this point, it is... Can I I add what the last thing? This this is the most important part of this tweet. Multiple owners and players are expected to fly in for the sessions leading up to MLB's stated February 28th deadline. That's important because as far as we know, it's only been the lawyers for each side that have been negotiating this stuff and the MLBPA and MLB reps, which is Tony Clark and Manfred. So that's important because up to this point, that had not happened. They were just communicating with the team reps and the team reps were t- telling the players what was going on. So th- for me, now that we know this and, that, and as, as of the listening of this episode, that that's huge because that means they're obviously, okay. Oh shit. Like now we know that we're, we're dropping the ball here a little bit. We really got to get a deal done. I hope that's what happens, but I'm not holding my breath either. Okay. So they're finally listening to what I just said. Correct. It only took you. I told you this is how we fix it. We just send Babyface over there. Babyface saves baseball. They're going to the name of this episode. They're going to lock up in a hotel and get this hammered out. And if they do that consecutively next week, then that's that's the best chance to to get this done next week to get baseball started up on the day it's supposed to start. And you know what, man? The thing that's annoying about this all is Mason made a great point that there's some owners that that don't you know more or less want to have competitiveness in the ranks i, I i've never understood 
aside from the bottom line, why owners want to do that. Because the Pirates, or the, the example that he gave, look at all the talent that they've had over the years that they've just thrown away. And, you know, Chris Archer was obviously rumored for a long time to go to the Dodgers. He, uh, he, he doesn't end up with the Dodgers. But, I mean, that, you know, that's a good example. You know, you have this, you know, could, what could have been a generational talent, but was a highly touted prospect. They, you know, they get 50 wins and, and they don't even have like the, the same draft system they do in the NBA. Like you can't tank to get a higher pick. Now that might change. They were also willing to, you know, to move on from draft pick compensation, which is huge. That's huge for free agency. So if they can make some of those concessions, oh, and by the way, the universal DH, they can make those concessions, but they can't on these other bigger issues. Then, then obviously there's, there's something there that obviously we don't know about. And that's where that transparency issue leads to where we are right now, where the frustration is felt amongst fans. And, and, and at the end of the day, the biggest loser are the fans. They're the fans, period. End of story. Doesn't matter if you're a Yankee fan, Red Sox fan, Dodger fan, Angel fan, and we'll talk about the Angels in a minute, but the biggest losers in all this are fans because if the second they start losing games, it's even spring training games, that's it. That, that, that's just detrimental to the game. Well, you know, it was a very interesting uh, story that I saw where they were talking about those, uh, those businesses in Arizona that are very dependent on spring training. And how basically the Major League Baseball owners have basically set those people, hung them out to dry. They basically said, look, we don't care. We don't care that your whole economy is based on this month or so of it. And you're, you're absolutely right, Alonso. The fact that Major League Baseball just doesn't see the fact that they're already number three. And if they're not careful, I mean, if MLS could ever get their crap together, well, I, I wouldn't even say if they can't get their crap together. I, I think the problem is, is this. There are so many games of baseball in the summer that you could just go to a baseball game whenever you want in the summer. MLS doesn't have that many games, so you're not going to lose out to, oh, well, more people would rather go to an MLS. But what's going to happen is there might be a Saturday night where you're just like, hey, I'd rather go to this MLS game then go to a major league baseball game. And that is a problem. And that, that is a problem that major league baseball needs to address because they're not going to lose the diehards. The diehards are going to be in it. The diehards are the ones that are chomping at the bit that can't wait for the season to start. It's the casual fan who will be like, Oh, Hey, let me go to this uh, football game here. And I'd rather spend my money going to this football game than going to a baseball game where and I think also the issue that we run against is we're seeing everything through the Dodgers' eyes in the sense that that stadium, whether the team is bad or not, is going to have 3 million people a year. It's the places in Pittsburgh, like you mentioned, the places in Colorado. Colorado has a beautiful stadium. I was able to get seats behind home plate for like 20, 30 bucks. How is that possible? How am I able to get that good of seats in, in Colorado? There are certain pockets that I guess just don't have that same fever for baseball. So if you want to go ahead and alienate those people even more, I, I just don't understand your business model. So real, real, real quick. So the issues that, that have been, you know, leaked or whatever that they've been discussing, you know, that's one thing. There was a, a tweet from Passon earlier today, and this, this is where it's going to get, you know, pretty, pretty dicey. He said they've barely 
bargained on the CBT and almost everyone with who I, who I talk to believes that luxury tax will be the issue that causes the most consternation. Um, MLB and the union have completely different worldviews on like everything, but they say nitty gritty CBT where <clears throat> is where, um, is where when they get to that, basically when they, when they get to the, the CBT, that's when they're going to be nearing the deal. Well, and I mean, listen, to Juan's point, I, 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 you know, when we did, when we went to that, uh, to that Dodger dog event last year, uh, some of you know that I went to, to a a series in Colorado, Dodgers played Colorado. And then, uh, and then I think, what game did we go to? We saw them play the giants. I think. I I forgot who they were playing when we went. I just remember Will Smith walked them off. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. That was the giant. That was the only game they won in that series. That's correct. That's correct. Shout out to uh, Papa Cantonellis. Uh they uh they took care of us that that uh that week. Anyway, so when I went to that game, I didn't ask for any tickets at all. I just I bought my own tickets for the Dodger game in Denver. Sat behind home plate and there were $27 before fees. Now, it's a great ballpark. It was cracking because the Dodgers are in town, right? But when you have ownership, like for instance, Dick Monofort's probably one of the worst owners in all of sports, not just baseball, but in all of sports. He he's he complains about the cost of having to take COVID nineteen measures. So I mean that sort of stuff. It's it's you know when it when it leaks, there's a reason it's leaking, right? And and like with Pittsburgh, you don't really hear about ownership in Pittsburgh, right? You don't really hear about the stuff that they do, but they also you know don't necessarily you know want to follow the model of being competitive because it's going to cost more money. The payroll, I think, last year was something like forty million dollars, something crazy like that. So. It, it, it's that's the unfortunate thing because places like Pittsburgh, places like Colorado, places uh, the, even as crazy as it sounds up until recently, even the Mets, you know, they, they have that beautiful ballpark there that ownership. All they cared about was the bottom line that, and that's fine. But again, the biggest loser is the fans. Cause we, we are a little biased because I mean, it's a Dodgers centric baseball podcast, but we're very lucky because even when the Lakers suck, the Lakers are still selling out Staples Center and still charging a premium. The Rams, if the Rams would have sucked, obviously they don't because they just won the Super Bowl. But even when the Rams suck, that, that's a thing. So the Angels even. The Angels, I mean, granted, they're not L.A., but the Angels still have a pretty good draw. Whereas MLS, you know, MLS doesn't have as many games, but the atmosphere is different. Some ownership is willing to spend. That's a perfect example. And, I mean, the other thing is that you could argue that baseball already is number four. Because of the way that baseball continues to get in its own way. Who it's are they behind? NHL in some people's eyes. Really? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you know what? The other sport is, is NCAA athletics of all kinds. Football, all that. I mean, the whole reason MLS plays the schedule they play, it's so they don't have to compete with the NFL. Yeah, That's exactly. the whole reason why, and it'll never change because of that. The NHL, kind of, but also the NHL wouldn't make sense to play in the summer. Let's just be 100% honest because it's hockey. So, I mean, it still is wild that Arizona and Vegas have hockey teams, but I digress. Um, so, but, you know, point being, baseball does such a phenomenal job of getting in their own way for no good reason that it's, 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 this is one of those where I think baseball is having a come to Jesus moment, for lack of a better term. And, and I think that tweet from Passon kind of shows that because they're starting to realize, hey, this isn't just a matter of like bickering over this and that. Like we may actually lose money and in the sense of losing fans amounts to losing money. And we talked about this in our group text today. 
if the season starts in June, there probably isn't an all-star game. And granted, the Dodger fans are going to be upset. I know we'll be pissed, but we understand because we get the, you know, the full season. But that's a huge revenue generator for Major League Baseball because they have the MasterCard endorsements. They have all that stuff, the Home Run Derby. It's revenue generating. So to me, it's crazy that MLB owners who locked the players out, let me repeat that and say it louder for the people in the back, MLB owners who locked the players out could do exactly what Roger's proposing, but they're not going to because they're more concerned about the bottom line. And that's a damn shame. That's a damn shame. This isn't even a matter of pride or whatever, even the CBT stuff. This is, it's literally all coming down to the bottom line. And that's a damn shame, man. Cause the people that are paying the bottom line are the ones that are going to be affected. Do you think uh, that the owners are starting to feel pressure either because of Manfred's disastrous press conference last week, or are the business partners with major league baseball now starting to apply pressure and saying, Hey, you guys need to get, you know, something done because here's the thing. There was an article I read the other day that the biggest revenue generating new stream for for baseball and probably for all sports is gambling there's no games there's no there's no gambling so i'm curious if if that element is also starting to creep in and being like hey you guys need to because look i it's gonna look really bad and i don't know how manfred explains this but under his regime under his reign there will now be two years of shortened seasons in baseball. And yeah, I get it. The pandemic was not his fault, but this one, this one, I, I mean, that press conference I think was, was, was a hot mess last week. I said this, I said it to you and I'll say it again. If he has a PR firm, he should immediately either like let them go or they should let him go because that, that was terrible. That was terrible. And you're, and you're the commissioner of baseball. Alonzo, with a straight face, he said that owning a baseball team is not profitable. That's exactly what I was about to say. And, and, and the dude, and that dude represents the owners of Major League Baseball, the product that he said it's not a good investment. What, I what, mean, what are you supposed to best do? friend, Frank McCourt, yeah. bought the Dodgers with nothing. Yeah. And he walked away with $2 billion. And you're going to tell me. That owning a baseball team is not profit. And you know what, man? I mean, the other thing that really pisses me off is the insinuation that they want to get rid of basically, a, you know, a good chunk of minor league baseball. Oh, yeah, that's hard. Oh, man. Like, that. Like to me, it's like, so you really are killing the game. And do, do I think that they should raise the wages of minor league baseball players? A hundred percent. As someone that was able to work around the minors as a part of my job, a hundred percent. I made more money than a lot of those guys. That that shouldn't be a thing, because you know, granted, they get huge signing bonuses if they're in the first two rounds. Cool, but if they're playing the game, pay them a fair wage. And I'm not saying you got to pay them a million dollars, but when you do the math and you look at how much those guys are getting paid, it's a drop in the bucket in comparison to what they make. I think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. I do think that corporate partners at some point are like, Hey, we're giving you all these advertising dollars, but you're not doing anything. So what are we giving you these advertising dollars for? That's, that's the nature of the beast. Right. And at some point, you know, that that's going to catch up to them. The other thing too is, you know, 
Manfred, dude, that press conference was cringe. Like, I don't really use that word a lot. That was a cringe news conference. Like, like someone, and here's the thing. You know somebody read that that whole spiel, the bullet points at least, before he went out there. And they said, yeah, we're good. Yeah, this is good. We're good. We can do this. We can do this. And to me, it's like, fire that person immediately. Because, dude, how do you, with a straight face, like you said, Juan, with una cara sin, sin vergüenza, as our mothers yeah. used to say, and said that shit and was just like, yeah, that's fine. That's cool. That What? Like, And again, he's also the brand ambassador. He is the guy. And I mean, you know, Bud C League obviously had his flaws and and it is what it is. But Bud C League never went out and said that. No, nah, I mean they're not they're not trying to hide it. No. They are absolutely not trying to hide it. He I, I and this is why you hear every person say, I don't know how many times I see this comment on social media, and that is I really wish that the people that were running baseball liked baseball. Because 100%. this is this is how it really it comes off that way. And like I said, I don't think they're not going to lose the diehards. The minute baseball comes back on, the diehards are coming are going to come running back. But I, I think it's a very I would be very concerned if I was an official in baseball. I mean, we had Dale Murphy on last last week uh, talking about how we need to be more progressive. We need to think about ways of growing the game. And this is just absolutely asinine because if anybody wants to bring back the greed of and Mason said it and 94 greed to me, the greed is clearly just on the owner's side because the owners killed the players on the last deal. If the owners took the same deal, they would still be making a lot of money. So that if anybody wants to blame anybody, the blame should be on the owners. It should. I don't want to see people saying, oh, the players need to concede more. It's like, that's BS. The players have already conceded enough. And even to that, I, I mean, you you also get the, the argument that, oh, well, they're paid handsomely. Cool. The, the, the crazy part is, if you look at the hard numbers, you could also argue that they may not even be getting a fair share. That's the insane thing. So for all you people that want to be, you know, fairly compensated for whatever you do, Hey, the players are just doing the same damn thing. That's all they want to do. The only difference is there's just a lot more revenue streams that come into play for a very specialized thing. That's literally the difference. So to me, I a hundred percent agree with you. MLB owners need to check themselves because at the end of the day, before they wreck themselves, I was going to go there, but I didn't want to, cause I didn't want to be that man. guy, but here we <laughs> are. Here we are. We're going to get sued now. Thank you. Thank you. Soon. It's, it's okay. We didn't say it consecutively. There was a, okay. there was a, there was right. a gap. There's there was a gap. a gap there. Silence. You know That's what? Right. And speaking of things that aren't helping the game, do this Angels trial that just wrapped up. Eric K was found guilty today, as a matter of fact, as well. Dude, this is just also not a good. This is not a good time for baseball. And the, the horrible, horrible things that have come out. And you know what? My, I will say this. Uh, it's not like at least, you know, that I know of, it's not like this dark secret about, you know, the, the, the drug consumption for lack of a better term in baseball, that's real. That's not a surprise. But when you have a guy like Matt Harvey, who, who for a while, I mean, they called the dude, the Batman, you know, he was, yeah. you know, the dark Knight, uh, who, who was the face of baseball for a couple of years coming out and essentially admitting he has a drug problem. And, you know, and then you have, 
kind of a who's who of, of, of guests and Angelton Simmons coming out and testifying. Uh, and, you know, obviously if you follow baseball in any way, shape or form, Angelton Simmons is, is not, you know, he's not some random Joe Schmo. Um, it's, it's terrible, man. Like CJ Crone also uh, testified and, and dude, like, it's just, and I, my heart breaks for Skaggs' family. Like they, obviously they're getting their justice, but it's still terrible when you hear these details because their family has to relive his death again. And that's, that's the, the bummer of our justice system. But the one thing that sticks out to me, the a prosecutor, when he was questioning Matt Harvey, Asked him, was it uncommon for players to use oxycodone at the time in 2019? And Matt Harvey stoically says no. So, I mean, that, again, that kind of tells you of, of other issues amongst baseball. And here the owners are bickering about this, that, or the other. And we can't even get this taken care of, right? And for me, I, I don't think the Matt Harvey slander is fair. I, that's a dude crying for help. Like, that. that's that's what that should be taken as. I don't know if he currently has a drug problem. I truthfully, I, 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 you know, I only took bits and pieces of the trial. So I don't know if they put that stuff out there, if he's clean or not, but if he's not, obviously that, I mean, for me, that sounds like a cry for help, right? Absolutely. So no, I, I mean, you're right. I mean, it is just bad news after bad news in a baseball off season. And the scary thing is, is this Angels story. This might not be the only story. If we don't have baseball for the next couple of months, you don't think another reporter is going to start digging up about maybe what other major league? This is conducive of maybe of a growing issue, a growing epidemic in baseball. That's probably been going on for years, and we just never knew it. I mean, going back to in the 70s, I wish – Next time when we have Dale Murphy on, I, I, I want to ask him about the use of greenies, amphetamines in the in the sport. So the dependence on drugs when you're playing a sport that you play every day in order to get you to play every day, it, it is just not a good time for baseball right now. And as a baseball fan, I would be very discouraged to look up and see that Rob Manfred is the one that's supposed to lead us through this. I it's it's dark times and it's sketchy. Babyface is chomping at the bit. What do you want to say? What do you got? What do you got? No, I was just listening to you guys. I mean, this whole this whole thing, you know, this whole I told, I texted you guys this whole K thing and Skags thing. It just it's ugly. You know, it's ugly for for the Angels. It's ugly for baseball. It's just a whole ugly situation. It's like it's bad. And again, like the people that, that were called to testify, Matt Harvey, Andrew Heaney, Garrett Richards, CJ Crone, Blake Parker, Cam, uh, uh, how do you say his name? Be- uh, Bedrosian, I think is how you say his name. Bedrosian. Bedrosian, thank you. I'm so bad at names. Uh, and staffers that that worked for the Angels. Like, dude, it, it's it's just, it's terrible. You know, and, and again, condolences out to Tyler Skaggs family because that whole situation sucked. And you would think that you would want to get a deal done to try to distract from this story. Right. Because the more that there is no baseball, the more and more details are going to come out on this. And it's, I just. And even in that, I mean, we, you know, we, we talked about it with Dale, the steroid era, you know, that's been a constant thing because of the hall of fame. It's just, honestly, the, the tutelage, you know, the, 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 I know that commissioners kind of look at themselves as like caretakers of, of whatever sport they're commissioning. If that's even a, a phrasing for their job, but 
Rob Manfred has not been a great caretaker for baseball at all. And it's unfortunate because if, if this trend continues of kind of pillaging the minor leagues and, and, you know, publicly, I guess, saying that owning a a major league baseball team is not a great investment, then how are we going to continue to grow the game? No, I mean, that's, that's the problem. That's the issue. And that's, those are questions. I think those are all valid questions. And that's just, we're not getting those answers from leadership. We're not seeing, you know, if you take, you see what the Dodgers do in terms of the, uh, the, the fields, it used to be the RBI program. Now, what, what was it called? It was just recently changed. Babyface, do you, do you remember what it was just called? changed to? Was it the dream team now? Is that what they're referring to? The dream team, yeah, I the think. Dream team. The dream team. So they're building baseball fields, right? And they're building them in neighborhoods and they're trying to get young kids to start playing baseball, right? I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we should be talking about right now. Those are the stories that how do we grow interest in the game? Like I said, I feel there's a couple of guys at ESPN that do a really good job of pimping the game. Clinton Yates is one of them. And I, I feel like Clinton Yates clearly loves baseball more. And I would love to see Clinton Yates running baseball as opposed to these guys that just all they care about is that they're not making enough money. Here's my last thing that I'll say on this MLB network, which is obviously owned by major league baseball, given the name has been rerunning old games. I haven't talked about the lockout. I haven't talked about, you know, as far as I know, the uh, Eric K thing, I, I, to be honest, since Chris Rose left it, I haven't watched MLB network and that's and I'm sure there's a lot of people that have the same kind of sentiment you know since Rosie left shout out to the homie Chris Rosie I don't I don't know him I'm just you know he's a fellow baseball podcast guy um that, that kind of that's unfortunate because in the off season when you're watching you know when you're watching like NFL network they still have content right they're still yeah. do good morning football they still do all you know with, with Kay Adams who's fantastic uh, you know, all these people and, but baseball, if they even did something remotely close to that, that would help because we live in the era of internet content. We talked about this a little bit ago. Apparently your daughter thinks that we're a big deal because we had Max Muncie on. Right. And, but their whole thing is the TikTok thing. I, I'm a, I will fully on admit that I don't understand TikTok. And you know what? I'm cool with that because I'm in my mid thirties and I'm a hundred percent. All right with that. But all these other sports are capitalizing on that, right? All these other athletes are capitalizing on that. I know there's baseball players on there, but that's what baseball should be focusing on to grow the game is yeah. with content, content of any kind. And right now the content that we're getting is all negative. It's all negative as hell. And it's super unfortunate because the game of baseball is such a beautiful game. And all the guests that we've had on obviously going, have no problem going into detail about how, how beautiful they find the game yet. We're talking about an, opi- an opioid issue that obviously in the grander scheme of things is a big thing in our country as well. But for baseball, it's a thing. You know, they're arguing about money and, and you know, nickel and diming each other. And they're at a, you know, the, the, the rock meets the hard place point. And it's so unfortunate. Whereas we, we could be talking about, I don't know, getting ready for spring training and all the, you know, and all the great content that they put out during that point. But instead, here we are unfortunately even bashing the game by ourselves by the way i didn't know that you loved uh 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 mr nicholson as much as you love him i learned that about you today you know i i'm a i'm a uh, jack nicholson i mean my favorite is still pacino 
uh, I'm a Pacino guy, but uh, Nicholson is, uh, he was one of my favorites. He was, uh, I loved him, you know, Batman 89 to me Tom. growing up as a kid was just like, it was crazy. It was great. And, and then, I mean, I used to live in, I know for you people, you might not know what this is, but I used to go to video stores and what is rent. that? Could you exactly. explain that? I used to rent videos all the time. So it was anything that Nicholson was in. I would get my hands on and but once I discovered Pacino, it was over. You know, are you, to me, are you Pacino's uh, my favorite? Are you one of those guys that uh sits down and thinks to yourself, man, gasoline used to be 79 cents a gallon? <laughs> oh, and only, that's, that's your question. Only when I pump in it's sixty-five dollars and I'm like, ah, old man shaking fist at cloud. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean I did I put gas in my truck. Well, I have a bigger truck than yours, but I put a I put gas on my truck yesterday. I think it was 110. Ideal meal. That hurt. No, it hurt. I mean that, and, and that was at Costco, by the way, where gas is significantly yeah. cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Then yeah, no, that this is where we are now. We're talking about gas prices. Damn it, straight to hell. Uh, no, seriously though, Jack, I didn't know that Jack Nicholson was 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 one of your guys. I I, I that caught yeah. me by surprise. I know. I, I, and, and Mason's right. Uh, early, early Nicholson from the seventies is, uh, that's, that's his heyday, man. That, that, uh, he was, he was really good. He was really good. The, uh, the Shinnin as, as I call it because of the Simpsons, the shining, uh, he, he's so good in that. Yeah. Yeah. That movie is really good. And it, and, yeah. and he doesn't get enough credit for that performance. Is that your favorite Nicholson? Uh, I mean, I still think it's Wolf. Like I told you, you know, the antidote, my sister. Yeah, I, I like that movie. I, I, I love that you picked that movie. I, I really do. I, but the, and, and I, that, like I said, the ending doesn't work for no, me. No, But up until that point, I, I was with it. I was going along with that movie. I, and you know what? The, the thing that got me into it was Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, Because yeah. my sister, I don't, and I, and I, to this day, she's two years younger than me. I have no idea why she was into that movie. And she like, like, you know how as a kid, you know, every little kid watches a movie on repeat over and over again. Yeah. We were, you know, 10, 12 years old and she would watch Wolf in Greece. Those are the two movies that she watched on repeat <laughs> all the time. And it got to the point where, you know, as a musician, obviously my, my mind is programmed to re- for repetitiveness. Right. I, I, I knew every single word to the Grease songs and I wanted to bash my head in because <laughs> I don't like musicals. Um, but uh but Wolf was another one, and it was kind of interesting because even my dad, who doesn't really like that stuff, you know, my dad is more of a Tombstone guy. That's probably my, my actual okay. favorite movie ever. Um, it, uh, it, the movie is great up until the ending. Yeah, no, but you're right about The Shining. If anybody ever gets the opportunity, you get watch to watch it. that on the big screen. Watch it watch on the big screen. Uh, there's a lot of movie theaters now that show old movies, especially around Halloween time. You will see The Shining. Go watch it on the big screen. That movie deserves the biggest canvas because what it's kubrick good. does visually with that film is is fantastic hey babyface what's your favorite nicholson um i think what's the one that uh that that mason mentioned uh, as good as it gets yeah as good or as it gets. one flew yeah, over yeah, the yeah. cuckoo's nest yeah one well i, I seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest a long time ago I've never um, seen that movie by the way i haven't seen a lot of movies. Cuckoo, cuckoo's nest is so good that, that's probably yeah i'd say probably that would be that one my wife gives me a lot of shit because I've not seen a lot of movies. Like no, it, Cuckoo's it blew, Nest is good, man. You should watch it. It blew my wife's mind that I've never seen Mean Girls. <laughs> Stop trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> it's what? never. It's not gonna happen. 
I, uh, as a uh, Mr. May, or, or it's kind of a theme this week, I guess. I got edibleized and I watched uh, Mean Girls, and that, you know, that I mean, in my opinion, I mean, granted, that could also just be the edibles talking. That could have won an Academy <laughs> Award. I mean, it was, it was, it wasn't bad. But then, like, but I mean, I've seen, you know, but but Nick, I don't think he gets. He's like Eminem. He doesn't get the props he deserves. Well, like anything in life, if you're, uh, what's the line from the from the Dark Knight? If you I'm totally butchering this line, but it's something along the line that you can be the hero. And if you live long enough, you become the villain. That's correct. I think the issue is, and that's not how the line goes. I know. So don't at me people, but it's something like that. Uh, I, I think that's especially with actors, if they have long careers, they're constantly going to get compared to their great, you know, their early their stuff. predecessors. And it's like, it's just not realistic to continue to keep that same level of work. Right. You get older, you're not going to have the same type of roles. It's like, I mean, Nicholson has had a career, you know, for 60, 70 years. It's like having Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan. They don't play for 60 or 70 years. Yeah, I want to see what they would have looked like at the year of 60 and 70. Of course, you're going to say, oh, they're not as good as they were when they were younger. Juan, I, for I forgot my favorite. What, what is it? Uh, Batman. Batman eighty nine. Batman, Batman eighty nine. That's a great movie. That, I, in my opinion, the best Batman. You know, I will say this. I love Nicholson in Batman eighty nine, but my favorite Burton Batman is Batman Returns. Oh, Batman okay. Returns okay. is so gothic. Yeah, I, I just I love it's. Uh, I love that movie. For me, of, of the Burton Batmans, right. I prefer Returns over eighty nine. I prefer 89, but I, I, I think 1A and 1B are, are Burton 89 and uh, The Dark Knight. The Dark yeah, Knight is yes, just, yes. The Dark Knight is fantastic. It's so well done. And, I, and I'm a huge Nicholson Joker guy. That That's the guy, right? No, but you're right. Heath Ledger, hey, yeah. God rest his soul. But holy shit, that dude. Damn. I, I'll leave you with this because it's turned into movie talk because right. of the, uh, uh, lockout. the lockout. But I will say this. I love The Dark Knight. But it is a ripoff of my favorite film of all time. What's that? And that's Heat. The oh, Dark okay. Knight okay. Is, borrows largely from Heat. So that's probably part of the reason why I also like that movie so much. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I was thinking that you were going to say your favorite film is La Camineta Gris, but <laughs> I digress. That's what I was expecting. I was fully expecting that. I prefer the, the movies with the Los Hermanos Armada. I mean, if, so, uh, whoa, whoa, okay. That's, this, a, that's a that's a dated reference. So is. for any of our older older fans, uh, also choosing violence, by the way, because there is <laughs> there's a lot of good actors from that era. That yeah. I, I mean, I didn't watch a lot of American movies, but all those movies because of my dad. Oh yeah. man, the those are B, Mexican B movies. Oh yeah, and you know what? How dare you, sir, call them B movies? Because in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with B movies, man. No. There's nothing wrong with B movies, but. If you're gonna slander them, like you can't be doing that. Does that slander? I, I'm a, there's affection there. There's affection. By the way, Al Pacino and Heat, though that that's a great movie. Great movie. Yes, it is. It Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Uh, not my favorite, but a uh, great movie. Uh, but on that favorite. note, we uh, we will wrap up the movie talk uh, on this week's episode of the Bleed Lost Podcast. Huge thanks to Steve Mason. If you're not following him, please go follow him on Twitter at Venice Mace. Uh, go check him out. Uh, check out his podcast, The Culture Pop. Uh, has has a great uh, list of guests and obviously Mason and Ireland on 710 ESPN Monday through Friday. But on that note, from your boys Alonso and Juan and the babyface gimmick in the sky, we're going to go watch Heat because that's just where we're at now because of the lockout. We'll catch you down the road. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe and leave a review to the Bleed Lows Podcast. The Bleed Lows Podcast is a Dodgers Beat production. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.